In therapy and in music, the baseline informs where we go to next. This is the show that examines the present state of music therapy and asks, where to from here? Welcome to Baselines with Joe Thompson. This podcast was made on the lands of the Darug people. Liana is the Clinical Training Director at the Neurologic Music Therapy Services of Arizona. Liana attended Appalachian State University for her undergraduate degree and completed her master's degree through Colorado State University. Having been exposed to a lot of GIM-style music therapy in her undergrad, she was excited to eventually learn about neurologic music therapy and how it can be implemented. She worked at a company called Life in Harmony Music Therapy, LLC, from 2016 to 2019, and then started working for NMTSA. In her spare time, she provides a few private piano lessons, guitar lessons, adaptive lessons, and private client sessions through her side gig, More Than Music. Liana feels blessed to be married to her best friend and high school sweetheart, Billy. Together, they have two dogs and a cat, and their first baby was born a few weeks after recording this interview. Outside of music, she loves to run, hike, travel, eat, read, and spend time with family and friends. Liana, welcome to Baselines. Thank you so much for jumping on. Can we just start by you introducing yourself a little bit? Yeah, my name's Liana. I'm so flattered and honored to be here on this super awesome podcast. I work for a company called uh, Neurologic Music Therapy Services of Arizona, um, founded by the great Suzanne Oliver. She's such an amazing mentor and boss to have. Uh, My role there is I'm the clinical training director, so I help kind of supervise the staff and the interns as they need to help them uh, learn and flourish and grow. We work with a variety of clients. Every day is a little bit the same and a little bit different because I see a big variety of diagnoses, but kind of use the same philosophy of thinking to implement therapy with all the clients. So it's very cool. I love the balance of a little bit the same, but a little bit different every day. So Liana, you have um, a fairly interesting backstory. Can you talk a little bit about your early experiences in life with therapy? Growing up, I uh, was diagnosed with sensory integration dysfunction, which has since been turned now is known as sensory processing disorder, which uh, a lot of our clients at our office actually will show up with that either as like a main diagnosis or as like a comorbidity with like autism or a developmental delay or something like that. So it can kind of present in different ways. Um, For me as a kid that presented in, I would like have a lot of little fidgets I would hold in my hands. I guess I had a a stuffed bunny toy I would carry with me that was, um, I was really into the tag of the bunny and not the bunny itself. Like I would just rub the tag between my fingers all the time till it was like basically worn off, my parents say. So stuff like that is just kind of how it would present to me. But growing up, uh, because I did not do the music therapy route, um, because it was not as well spread in the early 90s, which dates me a little bit. My mom took me to occupational therapy to help with some sensory integration. 
And then she also took me to vision therapy because with my sensory needs, my vision system was often pretty overloaded or my eyes wouldn't track together or work with each other, which was kind of hard for people to detect when I was a young kid because this diagnosis wasn't as well researched. And it wasn't like I had a lazy eye or anything. My eyes just weren't tracking with things up close. So it wasn't like you could just look at me and be like, oh, yeah, she can't see. And then my mom, on top of that, just kind of had done some reading. And both my parents played instruments growing up. They took me to a a kinder music program, which is kind of like an early childhood development program just based for music. So uh, the combination of those three things, occupational therapy, vision therapy, and kinder music really helped me uh, kind of incorporate my sensory needs and my vision needs uh, and get all my systems working together so that I could catch up with my peers in school and uh, keep on growing. Did you have a sense of an alternative experience as a child? Could you tell that um, the difficulties that you were having with sensory integration weren't what normal kids had? Yeah, my parents claim, I don't remember the early, early parts of this, but my parents claimed that uh, when I'd be like running around in a yard or at a playground with kids, I would, um, and this was before I was diagnosed, this is probably like preschool, kindergarten age, I'd be running with friends and I would just stop running in my tracks and I would just start blinking like crazy. And my parents thought I was actually having some small seizures. Um, And so then through some sleep studies and other things like that was led to what my diagnosis was. And then once I had my diagnosis and I started going to vision therapy and occupational therapy, I remember sitting in school one day and it just dawned on me that language had a written component that I had just not like really known about my whole life because I had just learned everything through auditory processing because I didn't have any auditory needs. I only had vision needs. So I just remember like looking at a paper and being like, I don't know how to do any of this. Like it was like mildly terrifying, but also cool to be like, oh, that's what the teacher was talking about all those years. Like, it's like, oh, wow. (laughs) Wow. That's amazing. That's, that's a revelation that most of us don't experience. Did you find the therapies that you went to helpful and what was your experience of doing those? Yeah, I think they were super helpful, but I was in vision therapy for a long time. And I remember computer exercises, physical exercises, um, sitting in a chair, swinging a ball back and forth. I remember like getting different reading prescriptions every like three to six months, like going to the eye doctor all the time. Yeah. So you did all this therapy and you're now not someone who does any of those therapies. What happened? (laughs) Yeah. um, Sometimes with the sensory processing disorder, uh, it's something you can grow out of. Um, So I think it was more prevalent to me as a kid. And like you develop your own coping skills. Like my parents put me in a lot of like sports and other exercises and stuff that kind of helped me get that input I needed. So they helped me with that. And um, with the vision therapy, it's kind of like any other therapy where once you progress and meet all of your goals, uh, you can kind of just, you know, stop attending the therapy. They discharge you. I actually, um, I have a, I had been seeing the same vision therapist for a long time because she was also 
an ophthalmologist. So she was also my eye doctor. So I would see her for vision therapy for all of like my younger, younger years. And then I would see her once a year to get a new prescription. And I went uh, over when I was in college in my undergrad over a holiday break just to like get a double check and make sure my prescription was still good. And I asked her, I was like, how's it going? And she was like, oh yeah, your vision, which miraculously it just has kept on improving. I've actually, every time I go to the eye doctor, they give me a weaker and weaker prescription because they, my eyes are just continue to strengthen and work together. But because I've known her so long, we walked out to the waiting room and the appointment was over and she looks at me and she goes, where's your mom? And I was like, Dr. Beasley, I drove myself. I'm 22. And she like looked at me and she goes, holy shit. Like she just like, I guess like, cause she had been working with me for so long. She was like, oh my gosh. She's like, it just hit me how old you are and how long you've been working at all of this. But it is like, it is so, it is like a lifetime process, but definitely way less involved now. But it just, that just cracked me up. I was like, I drove myself. I'm 22. And she's like, no, you're not. And I was like, yeah, I am. So uh, uh, you're now a therapist yourself. Were your early experiences part of the reason that you found yourself in the job that you're in now? Yeah, I think so. Um, towards the end of traditional school, before you go on to like university and all that, I had known I wanted to do something with psychology and something with physical therapy or vision therapy and something with music because those at all like played really big roles in my lives, helping me develop into the person I wanted to become. And I was very torn into which field I wanted to go in. And then I found out about music therapy and I was like, oh my gosh, I could kind of do all three in this one field and help kids just like me. So that was just super uh, like an enlightening moment for me. I was like, I want to do that. What attracted you specifically to NMT? Because that's obviously the field that you're working in now uh, pretty exclusively. Was NMT always where you were going to end up, do you think? Or were you um, interested in other approaches when you began that journey? I think NMT is always where I meant to end up to be. Uh, I just didn't know it yet. Um, I attended, I did my undergrad at, uh, it was called Appalachian State University in North Carolina. And it's a Wonderful, wonderful, lovely school, great program. I very much recommend it. But I went there because it was a public school in the state I grew up in that offered music therapy. So it was like the cheapest tuition. And I did know because I had found out about music therapy so shortly before applying to university, I didn't really know there was different types of music therapy. So I just went to like the school that had the cheapest tuition and the best reviews. And the undergrad program I did was very GIM based, like guided imagery music based, which was really like, it's super helpful for a lot of like the mental health community. And it's super powerful and impactful when done right. But to me, it just always felt a little bit abstract like I just wasn't very good at implementing it myself but it's it's a fascinating thing you went into music therapy to help kids like you which GIM doesn't really address so it would have felt very disconnected to your passions and yeah exactly and so and we had like clinicals and practicums with you know kids with developmental needs that I was like oh, I really gravitate toward this and we had um classes based off of like you know the neuro model of music therapy. And I was like, I really like, this is where I thrive. Like this makes sense to me. Like we had a 
entire semester, like, 80-page project due, and I waited till the day before to do it because I was caught up in university life, and I wrote all 80 pages in a night, and I still got 100 on it because that just, like, it just clicked for me. I was like, this makes sense. Like, this is what I want to do. So then after my internship, well, actually, during my internship, I had a classmate um, who was a year ahead of me. Her name is Catherine, and she had been in Wisconsin, the state that I was doing my internship in. And she was like, hey, I saw you're living out here now because it's pretty far from North Carolina. And she was like, I don't know if you've thought about neuromusic therapy. I work at this NMT-based private practice here in Wisconsin, and we're hiring. If you finish your internship soon, you should come apply for a job. And so she reached out to me and kind of like opened the door to me being like, oh, you can like just spend your whole time in music therapy in the NMT model. Like I had no idea. So, uh, but that's, and then I never looked back from there. It just has all made sense, like following the research and evidence-based practice. And it's just, um, the foundations behind it are just so, so awesome. So. Yeah. I mean, could we just dig a little bit into that? Like, yeah. What particularly about neurologic music therapy do you resonate with and are attracted to? I like that it has, um, and at our office, um, you may or may, uh, we've probably talked about this before, like the hierarchy of the hierarchy of needs where um, you have to, you know, address the basic needs before you can build up. Like I felt like a lot of times in my undergrad clinicals or even in my like internship, because my internship was just based with older adults. It wasn't like based in this specific model of music therapy um, that I often felt like now with the knowledge I have in NMT that we'd be jumping the gun like we wouldn't be addressing like arousal or attention needs we'd be trying to go directly to like speech and language needs or executive functioning needs when the person had other needs that um, should have been met first like I think back to myself as a kid Um, My mom was so she was so great. She would send me to school with like Play-Doh, like silly putty in my pockets so I could squish it in my chair to meet my sensory needs because my teacher wouldn't let me like, you know, stand up and move around even though I had these sensory needs. So um, I think of like almost like that in my past music therapy life, like trying to like skip squishing the play-doh and going right to doing the math homework and that just it doesn't work so if you could somehow um travel back in time to that point where you were on the receiving end of therapies you said that you wished that you had access to neurologic music therapy at, at that time can you imagine the adult clinician you working with the the child you and and what you might have been able to do in in the life of that child Well, first off, I think music is not only just such a great tool, uh, you know, to help your brain development, but it's also just super motivating, especially, you know, for children. So uh, just the fact that I already had a love for music instilled in me by my parents, I think I would have been super motivated to participate in the harder, especially like the vision based tasks that like sometimes would really frustrate me as a kid. Like there's a few things I still can't do as an adult. Like, I still can't cross my eyes. Like, you know, when you bring both your uh, 
your pupils to the middle and like cross them in the middle. I still can't do that. And I remember doing so many exercises on the computer or in person with the therapist. They would try and get me be able to track all the way in and all the way out. And I would just get flustered and frustrated sometimes. I I was a, um, not trying to sound like the perfect child, but I mean, I was a pretty well behaved child. So I didn't put up like a huge fit, but it was just like on the inside, very like, I'm never going to get this. And I feel like um, kind of giving the uh, music therapy approach to it would have made it a little more motivating. Um, I also appreciate, um, and I don't remember much. I mean, they could have talked to me like this. Maybe I just don't remember because it was so long ago. But with our clients, with the whole assuming competence model, we talk to them like, you know, we're straight up with them telling them, why we're working on this and how it's going to help their body. And I think in the beginning, before I realized like, oh, there's this whole written language I don't know about. I was just like, why am I doing this? Why am I here being like humiliated? Like that for these exercises I can't do, like I don't understand the point. And I think if I had had a therapist that kind of sat me down and be like, hey, this is why we're doing this to help you down the road with X, Y, Z, I would have been like, oh, okay. Like, um, I think that would have really helped motivate me. Um, because once I found out about the whole written language component, I was very motivated to catch up. I was like, oh, I'm behind. But before that, I was just kind of like, these exercises are hard and they make my eyes hurt. Like, why are we here again? So that's so interesting, actually. Yeah, yeah. What have you gained now that you're in this position? Um, that you, as you reflect, um, is has been important learnings. Um, since you since you graduated in music therapy yeah I um I just see a lot of myself in the the students that come in that you know they just have a general idea of what music therapy is and what it can do but they're not very knowledgeable in the NMT aspect of it or in you know meeting a client's basic needs and then building up from there and then also um which my undergrad was a big proponent of this, but a lot of undergraduate programs, unfortunately, are not. But um, doing the assuming competence uh, policy that we have at our office, just like knowing that our clients often understand way more than we give them credit for. I find a lot of students coming in not realizing that or not having been taught that. And I love to open up their eyes to that because just seeing their reaction and realizing like, oh, my gosh, these people are intelligent functioning people that I I'm, I get to help them grow like that just gives me like such joy so yeah that, I mean that is a, a, a transformative framework um it's actually one that I hadn't accounted until I got to NMTSA so can you right from the very bottom level could you please explain what assuming competence is and what it means yeah so at our office at least at NMTSA and I know a lot of other programs or facilities will do this too. So I'm not trying to say like, we are the only people that do this. But we, a lot of research and studies have shown that even though people have trouble communicating, especially with expressive communication, that their receptive communication is still very good. Um, like I know Suzanne often recommends people to read the book, The Reason I Jump. Uh, which is a great example about um, he's now a man. I keep wanting to call him a boy, but it came out a while ago about a man in Japan who 
um, would be jumping and moving and people would often treat him and talk to him like he was a baby or he couldn't understand them just because he couldn't speak or sit still to listen to him because of their sensory needs. But he knew what everyone was saying to him. Um, or we'll often have parents that are mortified, but also so excited that like they'll have a kid they've never heard answer back to them and we'll teach them how to type with facilitated typing or communicate uh, slowly with their voice. And then once they realize like, oh my gosh, my kid like knows everything I've ever said to them, they just have trouble responding back. It's just like opens up their world to treat them like humans and not like like little kids, you know, especially if they're like a teenager or an adult. So uh, on the same line, when I, I recommend to anyone listening, watching this film, Wretches and Jabras, which um, documents the journey of some autistic men who um, meet with the person that you were just talking about, Leanna. And yeah, it, it, people who on the outside look like they have absolutely, well, yeah, significant cognitive impairment, or you would assume as such at least, um, uh, demonstrating through typing that they're as eloquent and as articulate and knowledgeable about the world as, as any, any any of us. It's just the ability to demonstrate that is is difficult for them. Yeah, yeah. It's just um, I just love to help empower our clients so that they can, you know, advocate for their needs or just, you know, communicate their choices. Because a lot of times like caregivers or parents will be like, oh, they like this, or they enjoy doing this. And they may have a couple years ago, or they may have like one time said they like that. But, you know, people grow, opinions change. And uh, these people are just kind of um, at the mercy of what other people decide for them, which I just imagine being so uh, diminishing. So giving them a voice, whether it's you know, with their verbal voice or with OGCOM devices or anything like that. It's just super empowering for yeah, them. Yeah, no, absolutely. Do you have a favorite go-to song that you like to use in your sessions? This is like a song that I just kind of like wrote. Um, it's, and it's a little just like little ditty in the beginning. Um, but you can use it in so many different ways. Um, it helps with orientation and thinking about days of the week. But you can also use it for speech and language needs or movement needs or anything like that. So I just wrote like a little bit of a song like, like today is Sunday. So I could be like, it's Sunday, Sunday, and Joe is here to play. Or I could say like, Joe is here to sing. And then you, I could have you sing like, ah, ah, and then leave you space to sing like, ah, or I could be like, we can play up high, up high, and then have you bring your instrument like up high or something like that. So I just kind of make it up on the spot as I go with the clients. Uh, but I like to use that for like an orientation, kind of getting into the, the work mode of music therapy song. If you could go back in time to when you were studying music therapy, what advice would you give yourself? At least for my undergrad, been like, hey, there are different types of music therapy and different universities kind of promote different types based off the professor's specialties, which is totally makes sense. So I did my undergrad at Appalachian State. And then I, knowing with this knowledge, went back and did my master's degree at Colorado State because um, they're a very neuro and research based. What is your favorite thing about being a music therapist? Being able to watch my clients and their 
families slash caregivers like grow together as like a team, like like being able to help educate families on how to support their loved ones and loved ones being able to advocate for themselves with their families. Um, that's just always like super inspiring to me. Leanna, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. This has been a blast. Thank you for listening to Baselines. If you enjoyed the show, please hit follow and leave a rating and a review. My single purpose for making this podcast is that it helps us, the music therapists of today, to think clearly and carefully about what we do. I hope today's episode has given you something valuable to consider for your work and your practice. Thank you.